Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. It has been some time since I have given a message. That's because there has been extra circumstances pressing me, living with moving in to help my mother, which is 93, after recovering from a broken hip and so on. I want to share with you and I want it to be a shorter message. Usually my messages are well over an hour, but I'm hoping to do this within a half an hour. And I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit is saying to me as an individual, but also to the body of Christ for this very urgent time. As we see the events unfolding around us, we see the wheat and the tare becoming mature. It is evident that people are brash and unashamed of their wickedness and are filled with a hate as never before for, righteous, for those that are righteous and that the righteous also are shining forth and standing for righteousness. This is a sign of the soon return of Christ when the harvest becomes so evident in this regards. It is also evident when we see the events that are taking place in Israel, where there's over 100,000 missiles pointing from the northern part of Israel in Lebanon with Hezbollah. I know a man who had a vision, a man of God that was tortured for his faith, that was once a captain in, I believe, the Romanian army, and was converted to Christ and tortured there. And he shared with me that he had a vision of the North firing missiles where there was around 100,000 missiles firing on Israel, hitting every part of Israel. And then the main captain of Israel gave the order and an atomic bomb was released on Northern area in Lebanon, totally wiping them out. And I believe also in Syria. And then in the vision after this happened, Russia started to come against Israel with Iran. Well, already we see Iran beginning to cause Israel to attack them on, their, on the border of Israel. So the time is urgent. And I am sharing this message to encourage and exhort the body of Christ. I received a leading under the casting of lots from the Song of Solomon yesterday on Wednesday, February the 14th. I want to read this Song of Solomon, chapter 8, first. Oh, that thou wert as my brother, that sucked the breasts of my mother, when I should find thee without. I would kiss thee, yea, I should not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house. Who would instruct me? I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love until he please. I feel I'll just read the first four verses 
and share on what the Lord was showing me from these verses and then continue with the reading. In this first part of this passage, we see that there is the longing to have intimate fellowship with the bridegroom and to, and to so know him that one is no longer reserved at fully expressing love to him and expressing a confidence and oneness that is with authority as if they were already married to him. Oh, that thou art as my brother that sucked the breasts of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee. Yea, I should not be despised. How much there is a tendency when there are those that are hungry and yearning for God to go beyond just the normal seeking of the Lord, of being faithful and attending the prayer meetings and so on, for them to be despised. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution even from those that love God in measure, but have not been wholehearted in their love for God. But God is, in this time, bringing forth his bride to be pure and spotless and to be totally in a wholehearted love for him. He is coming for those with the extra oil. It is to those that he will open. It is those that will enter and be partaker of the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is those on which the second death has no power, as it says, and Revelations 20. And we read here in verse 2, I would lead thee, this is the bridegroom, and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. Again, there is the yearning in those that are really hungry for God, for the Lord to be able to come into every part of their lives and to be intimately acquainted with their life to the point that they know an intimacy with him, that they feel a confidence to even speak boldly before the Lord. And as it were, not in a wrong sense, not in a sense of presumption or as if they have anything with over God, but as it were to instruct the Lord in the sense of, Lord, I want you to see this in my life. I want you to see that in my life. I want you to have your way. I want you to see my roots, my, my heritage, where I was brought out of, where I came forth from, my roots, my upbringing. Who would instruct me? I would. I want you to drink of what's in my life, the riches of what's in my life. And so God is calling his people to have that hunger and thirst for him, where they enter into such an intimacy with him, because they will then come into such a oneness with him that they will sense an authority with him to be, as it were, 
in a marriage relationship with him where the wife has the privilege to even say to her husband, listen, I want to show you this. I want to, in a sense, instruct thee. It's not a place where we are commanding God, but where we, are, where we are so in one with the heart of God that what he's wanting to command, we are commanding back to him. Knowing that he's saying, yes, that's what I want you to command me because that's the command that's in my heart. He wants us to walk in that kind of intimacy and authority with him. He wants us to be able to release from our heart such creativity in love, in expression of our affections, of our love, of our passion for him. That our longing is that he would embrace us under our head, under our thoughts, that we would have the mind of Christ that would ascend into the heavenlies with Christ and know the embrace of Christ because we've embraced his mind, which is the mind that is mentioned about in Philippians chapter 2, where he did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but condescended and suffered more than you, a mere creature, and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. And we are to embrace that same mind of Christ and wash one another's feet. And therein, know through our humbling ourselves before God and one another, his embrace of our fellowship corporately in our local assemblies. And in this passage it says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love until he please. That's in verse 4. And what is happening here is that there is a concern not to go ahead and to try to force this relationship to come to be. And therefore those that would be so prodded or, or would so prod us to force ourselves into a relationship with God are commanded to not do so, to not influence the, the bridegroom to come forth before his time of visitation. This is because it must be from the heart that the bridegroom responds. And therefore it is necessary to endure to the appointed and mature time of God's visitation. But how do we, and how do we have our friends try to force us? No, it's not something where they start telling us that we don't see God we're going to miss out. doesn't mean that we don't exhort one another that way. But it's the manner of spirit in which it is exhorted. You can pick up when it's coming out of a spirit of true exhortation that encourages and one that makes one feel like they're driven. No, we do not want to be driven by those around us because in that there's a motivation to please the expectations of those around us that have their expectations which may be very good for our relationship with God. But that is not right when they give it out of a wrong spirit that is not coming from the Spirit of God but a religious spirit. No, God wants our heart. He wants us also to from our heart truly have that hunger and thirst for him. 
where we are stirred up because he has brought us to that place of being stirred up so that he soon through our tearing and seeking him is brought to the place where he visits us with his outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days to reap the end time harvest and to bring forth the greater works. I had a dream, I don't know, a couple of months ago, where in the dream I was asking for the latter rain. You know that verse that says, ask of me rain in the time of the latter rain, and I will give you bright clouds of rain. Well, we know what those bright clouds of rain are for. They're for the reaping of the harvest. That is clearly explained in Revelations chapter 14. Where there's the first harvest, which involves the vision of the Son of Man sitting upon bright clouds of rain and putting forth the sickle to reap the harvest. That is where we are at now. We are just at that point. And there's coming a harvest of the day of God's vengeance right after that. But right now it's the harvest. And people in the Islamic religion are seeing how bankrupt and empty their religion is in droves so that they're forsaking it and coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. And we see there's about to be this major war in Israel where Islam will be judged. It will be the day of vengeance. Then they will know that the Lord, he is God. When he is sanctified among the heathen, as it says in Ezekiel in the last days, when his anger rises in his face, as he sees the blasphemy of this false god before him, and he will bring down every false god at that time. And then all the earth will know that he is the Lord, but will they choose him or the Antichrist? Many of them will still choose the Antichrist, but it is the time of the harvest, and we need to be in such a love relationship with him that when they come in, they will not be coming into some typical denominational church, but into a church that has been freed from being one that denominates one another, that has been freed from one that is lacking and limiting the headship of Christ but a church that is repented of limiting the headship of Christ and allows the fullness of the headship of Christ to indwell the body because we've repented of our loves for the world. I want to go on and read the second section of this passage. Who is this that cometh from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree. There my mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave, the coals, the coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly condemned. In verses 5 to 8, 7, it is through the trials in the wilderness that the bride comes forth out of the trials into a full, mature marriage relationship with the bridegroom. Who is this that cometh from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? 
the roots of godly heritage in the body of Christ brought forth the bride in the place of overcoming the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see the apple tree. It represents the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I raise thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. It's not wrong. Our heritage has been good. It has showed us the difference between good and evil. And it has caused us to hate evil and to love good if it's truly a godly heritage. And that is good because the word of God says, because thou hast hated iniquity and loved righteousness, therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee above thy fellows. To the degree that we hate Evil and love righteousness is to the degree we are conformed to the image of Christ. And that is what godliness is. It is being conformed to the quality of the being of God Almighty, of his very character, so to speak. It is then that we are sealed with the seal of God upon our forehead because our forehead crinkles with groaning over what God crinkles with groaning. Our forehead crinkles with joy over what God is rejoicing over. And we can sense the very crinkling, as it were, under the anointing of the Spirit of the seal of God in our foreheads to be angry over what God is angry over and to be in loving what God is loving. And I have actually experienced recently feeling, a literal feeling like that in my forehead of crinkling out of hate for sin and of love for righteousness, which is very encouraging. Maybe in a sense, I'm experiencing God beginning to seal me so that I say, I love my master, I love my Lord, I will not go free because that love relationship through the trials that I'm being put through is bringing me into the place of such a love for God that it is sealing it on my heart. It says here, set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thine arm, so that we raise our hands in praise to rejoice with our arms before God over what he loves. And we rise up with our fist in authority and execute the prophecies of judgment against those things that God is commanding us to take the sword of the Spirit in our arm with and to effectively and with wholehearted strength and energy from the Spirit of God wield the sword of the Spirit in the prophecies of judgment to bring down the strongholds of unrighteousness. For love is strong as death. And jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have the most vehement flame. God is wanting a most vehement flame to burn in our hearts, he doesn't want us to be lukewarm or he will spew us out of his mouth. He wants us to be ablaze with a passionate love for him that consumes the dross in our lives. It is then that God will set his seal in our heart to rise up and to effectually and full power of the Spirit release 
the prophecies of judgment that will bring down the strongholds. And this is not just in our individual lives, brothers and sisters. This is corporately, that we become of one heart and of one mind and of one mouth, so that when we pray, as they did in the early church, God heard their prayer and brought down the strongholds of evil in their nation. God is wanting the body of Christ to come forth again and to so seek his face that we know such a baptism in his love for him and for each other, that the fullness of his headship can indwell the body with such authority and such love. It means that we no longer care for any of the things of this world, but this love has consumed all of the loves of this life, including those things that are the most precious and dear to us, which in my case has been that I've always wanted to have a wife. Until this day, I still would love to have a godly wife that would spur me to be closer and closer to God, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like now I'm married to God, and in the, if it's not to be so, it doesn't matter because I know His love in my heart consuming me for Him and for His glories so that the many waters of this world cannot quench my love for Him. The many waters of trials that would cause me to even, as it were, drown and lose my breath because they're so overwhelming rather than overwhelming me. Do not overwhelm me. As Paul the Apostle said, that we despaired even of life, but it was that we would not trust in ourselves, but on in God that raises the dead, that we might know the exceeding greatness of his power to us word, that would cause us to rise above the, the, the death of this world that would seek to throw itself upon us through the enemy. Neither can the floods drown us anymore. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. Neither can all the wealth that would give us all that we would want to do for God himself. That's all I want the wealth for, and I'm in debt. But I want the wealth for one thing, to build places of worship for God, where the body comes forth to seek him as never before and repents of being denominating and repents of loving the world and worshiping the gods of amusement and all of these other things so that they come out of the wilderness in the place of being seated with Christ in heavenly places, in the place of authority to execute the sword of the Spirit in the spirit of prophecy, out of zeal and passion for him. It means that we must repent of our loves for the world. We must repent of allowing our churches not to be a house of prayer. It should be that every meeting we come before our faces in awe before God to meet with him and to draw people and to be more conscious of him walking in our midst and being in our midst than of any leaders. It should be that the leadership is on their faces. It should be the norm that all the meetings start in the place of awe with God, that we repent that we have not had the fear of God to enter in in such a place, to meet with him until his glory comes down, so that when we begin to have the ministry of the pastor and of the prophet, and of all the other gifts of the Spirit, it is coming out of the fullness of the glory of God that is moving in the body of Christ. That is what God is calling for the last days. It is these that will be the overcomers, that will inherit all things as promised in, I believe, Revelations 19. He that overcometh all things 
it says, blessed is he that is thirsty. And he says, and says, I will give to him that is a thirst of the water of the life freely. And then he says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. The key is having that thirst for God that is not quenched by the waters of this world. The loves of this world that would in the end drown us with the death that is in the end of those things because they are merely the natural pleasures of this life. And one of the things that is often in the body of Christ here is that the leadership seems it's so fine to talk about how they're watching the hockey game and the football game and spending all kinds of times in these things. They are encouraging ungodliness. These are the very things that are robbing people of having a life of prayer. And how dare the leadership get up and talk as if those things are fine in the sight of God and encourage people to be partaker of those things. It should be that we are an example and do not encourage that if we're wanting to be in that first love with God. The body of Christ must repent of loving the world. The leadership must repent of these things if they want to conquer their nation and their city so that it is saved in these last days from the judgments of God. That is my prayer that will happen here in Canada where I live, that will happen in the States. God is giving us a season of grace with Donald Trump in power. If we as the body of Christ come to him in this way in repentance and really begin to seek his face until we see breakthrough, we will see breakthroughs in our lives individually to enter the God's calling and destiny in our lives. Who wants anything less? Anything less is empty. It is the waters of death that can drown us and cause us to be robbed from that place of fellowship with him. We go on and we read in this passage of scripture. We have a little sister and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breast like towers. That was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Solomon had a vineyard at Belhaman. He led it out to the vineyard unto the keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. In this passage of Scripture, the relationship with one another in the body of Christ must be such that those that have great lack are loved and given with great sacrifice what will build them to be fully mature and without lack in this oneness with each other that is also in oneness with the bridegroom. It is then only that the Lord will see the maturity of the bride and all her beauty, and she will labor in the vineyard and gladly bring forth fruit for the bridegroom. Brothers and sisters, I wonder why the Lord brought a sister into my life. And I just happened and she happened to live near where I live, and I find out she's got all these needs and is suffering so painfully in her body. And she doesn't have money and she has to move and there's no one to help her. And I end up having to spend way beyond what I'm able to afford. And I have to just send it all to the junkyard to be destroyed even though it's valuable. Because she has to be out by a certain time. 
And yet she's a member of a, a church, but they don't seem to be in a place to help her. And as a result, she's been in my life for years and I've been having to spend lots of money. I'm not boasting here. And I had to endure a lot of patience with her through all the suffering and the problems in her life. And I'm not going to go into any more detail. I wonder why God allowed that in my life. Because it's been a great trial for me that has refined me. But I love this sister and I care for her. And I want to see her come forth. And it's these type of people that are... Here we're trying to help people around the world. And we don't help the people in our own congregation that are widows. Or those that are desolate. That may have been married and divorced and had terrible things happen in their life. This sister I know had two of her sons killed in one day in a car accident. And she still has faith in God through all of this. She still seeks the Lord. She's had trials because she has pains in her body. She has all kinds of physical ailments. It's a strange mix because she's a slight bit younger than me and I'm attracted to her and have had the temptations that way. But God's purified me because she so loves God that she wants to stay pure. And I found my heart was weak in that area and I would keep repenting and being purified. But what, what is God doing here? What is he saying through this trial to me? What is he saying to the body of Christ that he wants us to be in the place of such maturity with him that it isn't so that we are insensitive to one another's needs in the body of Christ or allow those in our midst to not come to fullness of maturity to have their needs met financially and physically and in every other way that are lacking. I'm working right now on business on the internet that will probably make a lot of money, but I don't want to be entangled in all that. I want to go full time into ministry. But I'm, if God wants me to go into this, I'm not going to let it get in my way. It won't be the kind of thing that will, I don't think. I'm doing business on the internet because I, sure, I could go to crowdfunding. God tells me to do that. I will do that because I have books coming out, a book coming out that's a template for God's invasion upon the earth to bring forth a body of Christ in each locality, a template of every detail of what should be in a local body of believers to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ. And so these are some of the things, brothers and sisters, that God is calling. Then he will be pleased with his bride. Now I just go forth here to share a bit more because I don't want this to be a long message. And so we go from here and it says in verse 12, my vineyard which is mine is before me. We have the vineyard before us. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand and those that creep the fruit thereof two hundred. How wonderful. The Lord wants us to be those that labor in his vineyard and gladly bring forth fruit to the bridegroom. We're not interested in giving our thighs. We're interested in giving everything to him. And then we read in verse 13 to 14, Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of spices. The Lord dwells in the gardens, which are the potentials 
of the places that God has placed us to bear fruit in his name. The vineyard, the harvest, the place of laboring to bring forth the kingdom of God. It is in the fields of labor for the Lord, out of the tree, free full love, that the bride now is so mature that she can hear the voice of the bridegroom. It's not laboring out of obligation. It's laboring out of a heart that is filled and impelled by the love of God. So now we're beginning to hear the voice of the bridegroom in our individual lives. We're coming into such an intimacy that we can actually hear his voice whispering out of love to us as to what he would have us to be doing in the vineyard. We're now at the place where we can hear his voice to be ready to hearken when he calls, to be at the marriage supper, the consummate marriage of Christ with those that are overcomers. A marriage that never ends. I also want to point out that I didn't share much on the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. But to say this, that God wants to bring us to the place where we can partake of the tree of life because we've been brought into such a love relationship with him that we are able to separate the precious from the vile out of conformity to who we are innately in our being a conformity that has been forged through us seeking God diligently and diligently following him to allow him to work in us, to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is then no longer a mere religiousness of right from wrong but coming out of the relationship that God wants us to have with him. I'll just mention with, in closing of this passage, that today I received 2 Kings chapter 2, which is the account of Elijah and Elisha, and how Elijah was discouraging Elijah, or Elisha, to stay and not to continue to walk with him. But Elijah knew that if he, would watch and be diligent and not allow Elijah's advice that I, you can stay back and have a wonderful walk with God and be blessed of God. You don't need more. You don't need to pay the price or, or go beyond. But no, Elijah would not listen to that. He chose to watch. And so the Lord was able to work. And even in that passage of scripture, the places where Elijah went, the first one with Elijah and Elijah was the house of God. And then from the house of God, which means Bethel, Elijah encouraged him to just stay there at the house of God. But no, he was determined to be watching and diligent. And so he went with Elijah to Jericho, which means let him smell it, the place of fragrance. So in the house of God, he was coming to the place 
of smelling the fragrance of God, of being drawn into a deeper walk with God. He didn't allow himself to just be in the house of God, but to enter in to the fullness of God's presence. And then from Jericho, again, he was told, well, you can stay there. You're experiencing such an intimate relationship with God. You're, you're partaking of the fragrance of his presence. You can stay there. You don't need to go on and be watching and diligent. But no, Elijah determined that he would still follow with Elijah. So he went to the place of Jordan, which is called, in Jordan means their descent. He went to the place of being humbled, of descending, even though he knew such a close walk with God, of laying that down, going down to the lower regions, to the place of crossing over. And of course, we know the account that he saw Elijah caught up into heaven and his, the garment fell off Elijah <clears throat> onto Elisha. And he received the double portion of the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to be in the same relationship with him, where we are not satisfied, where we allow the hunger of God to lead us all the way into that relationship where we receive the double anointing and do the greater works that God has called us to do, even as Elijah began to do, because he received the double portion. Let us be in that place where we are ridder, ready for the latter rain in these last days and come into such a relationship individually and corporately in the body of Christ that we conquer our community, our city, our nation, that multitudes are brought into the kingdom of God for the glory and praise of God. Thank you for listening to this message.